Welcome to KYH2O, a podcast about all things water in Kentucky. I'm Carmen Agaritas, an Extension Associate Professor in the Biosystems and Agricultural Engineering Department at the University of Kentucky. And I'm Amanda Gumbert, an Extension Specialist for Water Quality with the University of Kentucky Cooperative Extension Service. Join us as we get our feet wet exploring Kentucky's water resources. In previous episodes, we discovered salamanders at Raven Run. Carmen went on a field trip with Dr. Steve Price. I'm Steve Price, and I'm a specialist in uh, reptiles and amphibians and other aquatic animals, and I've been at the University of Kentucky for about four and a half years. And today, we're going to hear from Dr. Price from his lab. We study both reptiles and amphibians. So, Carmen, you got to go. I did. So, Dr. Price actually has a lab in the forestry department, and it's, uh, as you would expect, the temperature-controlled environment for the the reptiles and and the snakes and turtles he has. Um, But if you're lucky enough, Dr. Price also does outreach efforts where he will actually go to schools or he's been at different expos to introduce these uh, creatures to people that may not be so at first um, enamored or excited to see them. So he actually will have different snakes that are okay for people to hold or turtles and whatnot. And his graduate students get involved with it to help just educate the people about them and, you know, actually see them. I, one of the things that was interesting in talking to Steve about, and, and I'm probably guilty of having this misconception as well, is that almost anytime I see a snake, I think, hmm, that's a venomous snake and I need to stay away from it. Um, but a lot of the ones that we see around, are, I've learned, are really beneficial for our environment. And most of them are here to help us and are non-venomous snakes. They're nothing to be really be afraid of. Yeah, I hear a lot of people react negatively to snakes or, you know, even if even the mention of the word snake. I have some family members who are start to shudder. They're horribly scared of them. Um, You know, I grew up in a household where snakes weren't really well respected, we'll say. Um, Is that how you grew up, too? I think so, because everybody was always afraid of a copperhead or like a rattlesnake um, where I grew up, we didn't have to worry about cotton mouse, but you always heard this story about so-and-so that got bit by a snake and I think became somewhat of what we consider an urban legend. Uh, but it's amazing how many, you know, you see around that are actually there to eat mice or rodents we really don't want. We only have four species that are venomous um, in Kentucky, and those are the ones that people are always most, most concerned about. Um, there's one species, the northern copperhead, that occurs throughout Kentucky, but it is, is relatively um, uncommon in the bluegrass region. Most of the time you'd find it in kind of the forested bluffs around the Kentucky River. And then there's three other venomous species of snakes. The timber rattlesnake is one that's uh, fairly uncommon, most commonly seen in eastern Kentucky, some of the, the rugged uh, landscapes there. And then we have the cottonmouth, which only occurs in the western part of the state in some of the swamps and wetlands in those areas. And then there's another venomous species called the pygmy rattlesnake. That's a small, uh, a small uh, venomous species of rattlesnake, only found in the land between the lakes region. So Steve's going to talk to us about a couple of common snakes. So let's hear about these snakes that Steve keeps in his lab. So these are two, two common snake species that we find in Kentucky. And this is called a corn snake. And uh, as you can see, this guy's very, very colorful. Um, on his belly, he has scales that are black and, and white. And, uh, and on his back, he's kind of a mix of orange and, uh, and, and gray. 
So his scales, it looks like they're coming off right now. Yeah, so he is in the process of, of shedding his skin. So all snakes shed their skin uh, regularly and they do so when they're, when they're growing. So um, these snakes that I keep in the lab will shed their skin maybe every month or so. Um, and in the wild, it, sometimes it's a little more frequent than that, depending on different times of year and, and how much they're eating. And if you notice this guy, he's hissing a little bit here, okay? But that's all right. This is, this is what we would call, a, a, this is a non-venomous snake, of course, and he's really good at making himself seem scary, okay? This is called an eastern hog-nosed snake. You can see that he has a little upturned scale on his nose there. See oh, that? Yeah, yeah. See, that's called a rostral scale, and it's turned up. That's why he gets the name hog-nosed snake. And so what these guys do is when you come across them in the wild, they'll hiss like this, okay? They'll hood up like a cobra would. You can kind of see how he can flatten his head. Yeah. He'll strike at you, but he'll do it with his mouth closed, so he's not even trying to bite. And then if you keep harassing him, kind of goes to the bathroom on himself, actually rolls over with his mouth open and plays dead, even sticks his tongue out. So, he, you know, there's a potential predator, I think, that he confuses when he does that, or he or she, and, uh, and that's a, a good tactic that, that works for them. Wow, so Steve just told us about an eastern hognose snake. Have you ever seen one in the wild? Um, if I have, I haven't really noticed it because I tend to stay away and not get too close. This was really a first for me, and uh, Steve got me to actually pet and hold some of the snakes, so I was, I was proud of myself for that. They were much uh, smoother than I thought. You know, they're not really super rough and not slimy or anything like that. They were very soft, and uh, it was a real neat experience. You could feel the muscles contracting and moving around in them. Um, I don't think the snake was overly enthusiastic to be held. Uh, it, it, uh, it had a, a moment where it needed to evacuate its bowels, so to speak. But, uh, and which snake was that? That was the hognose snake. So I have encountered an eastern hognose snake. Um, I think I mentioned in one of our earlier podcasts that my husband is a bit of a herpetologist. And so some of our um, adventures um, have included, you know, going out at night looking for snakes or going out during the day and looking for snakes or, you know, who knows. He just drives us somewhere and we get out and start exploring. And so we came across an eastern hognose and I didn't know what it was. And it was an interesting, it's probably the most vivid experience I've had with a snake, certainly. It it looked just like your average snake. And then all of a sudden, you know, the head and the, the front part of the snake flattens out. So that typical, um, almost a triangular shape, like what we usually think of a venomous snake to look like. So it kind of spread out into that and flattened it, the front of its head. And you know, in his status or, you know, its tongue went in and out or whatever. And, and so that didn't scare us off at first. And so then it flipped itself completely over, which I thought there's something wrong with it then. And then it vomited its last oh. meal, which was um, quite graphic. And I think I squealed at some point during all this. And my husband's just laughing. And, 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 and I said, oh, my gosh, what is happening? And he said, well, you've just seen one of the greatest displays of defense a snake can give. And so it's, I find them uh, pretty fascinating uh, that a hog nose takes, I mean, you think about that, that's a lot of energy to try to scare us off, right? Um, but I guess it's, it was just trying to save its own life too. Yeah, yeah, it was a, 
if Steve wasn't there with that snake, I probably holding it and ensuring me that I was okay. I might have uh, left the room when it uh, when it went to the bathroom all over the table. It was a definitely a smelly experience. I think a common misconception is that snakes are slimy and and slippery, but snakes actually are very smooth, very dry. Um, these are all the scales here, and some snakes have a little more rough appearance than this guy. Those snakes that are rough will have a tiny ridge within each scale. Those are called keeled scales. Now these guys have fairly smooth scales, but yeah, it's it's um. It's a good way to identify snakes by their scale type, but also um, people are always amazed when they feel a snake. They like, I never expected it to actually feel so soft, and right. and, uh, um, and especially the smoothness on the scales. So Steve just described the the texture of a snake and what the skin feels like, and and you mentioned earlier, I think too that. Um, people maybe perceive that snakes are slimy. That's the the description that I hear a lot. And I've, um, it, I guess I used to think that too. They really kind of feel like almost like a a cold or uh, a cold basketball in a way. If you think about the like the texture of a basketball, um, I kind of think about snakes almost feeling a little bit like yeah, that. Yeah, it was. Uh, you could feel you could feel the muscles underneath. Um, it was dry, so it wasn't slimy like you would think. And I was amazed how soft it was. It was almost a velvety feel to the to the skin. Uh, so for me, that was a that to me was a real eye opening experience because I think you're very much right as as we think of snakes and maybe it's a a fear in the back of our head that we assume that if it's slimy, it's bad or something like that. But they were nothing like that. I was amazed at how soft they were. So what about the connection of snakes into the ecosystem? You know, we talk a lot on this podcast about water quality. That's really what what our podcast is about. So how do snakes figure into that equation? So the way I look at it is snakes are one of those starting to move up the higher organisms. Uh, they, they are higher up into the food chain. So they're eating uh, rats or smaller rodents or things, maybe even smaller snakes, other things of that nature, um, that also then feed on maybe either the fish or the salamanders who then feed on the bugs. And so when we look at water quality, uh, if we don't have that bottom of the food chain there, we're not going to also have this upper top part of the food chain. It, it depends on the species. You know, you might have a timber rattlesnake um, in the mountains of Kentucky that eats, you know, four or five squirrels a year, and that's it. And you might have something like this corn snake that eats a mouse a week. And we have other snakes that eat fish or frogs, and they may eat a little bit more frequent. But because um, they're... Uh, they're what we call, you know, ectothermic or cold-blooded. They don't need to eat nearly as much of a mammal of the same body weight, so they can eat relatively infrequently. And when it's cold outside, they can just say, "Well, I'm, I don't need to eat right now, so I can just sit here and, and hang out." So they're actually really kind of efficient animals when you think about it that way. I also think about snakes in more of a positive light. I do remember a, a neighbor of ours that I went to visit once, and we were playing in her garage that was a separate building from her house. And I remember her saying, don't bother my snake. And I was a little bit wigged out about that, to be honest. And really, in reality, she understood the importance of this of this black snake that lived in her, in her garage because it kept the mice down. Um, so they certainly have um, a balancing effect in the in the ecosystem and in the food chain. They do, and and I've gained a more a, a higher respect, I should say, for for snakes and their importance. While I'm not going to go out and hunt them, 
and I'm not going to go out and seek to hold them. Um, I am going to seek to let them live in, live in their environment and, and honor that and protect that. So speaking of them living in their environment, um, you know, well, I think about the habitat that they utilize and really how we as humans can impact that habitat with things like urban development. And um, I think about it in terms of water quality, but also it's always important, I think, to remember that when we change a land use, maybe from a wooded area or an agricultural area into a more urban area, that we not only impact water quality, but we can um, eliminate habitat also. Yeah, if you're interested in learning more about snakes that are living in Kentucky or different snakes that are venomous or non-venomous, Dr. Price actually has a website that you can go on to and see pictures of the snakes and learn interesting facts about the snakes. So if this is something that you think is of interest or you see a snake in your backyard and you want to know more about what that is, his website's a great place to go. Well, we've learned a lot about reptiles and amphibians and how those two sectors of the animal world really fit into our ecosystem. So we'll continue our adventures learning about water in Kentucky, and we hope that you'll join us next time. You've been listening to Carmen Agaritas and Amanda Gumbert. Learn more about water at uky.edu forward slash BAE forward slash KYH2O. Subscribe to hear all episodes of KYH2O.